Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hash It Out. This is your co-host, Deborah, and I am with Janae and Chelsea today. Um, the topic for this episode will be the gentrification of Indiana Avenue. So before we continue, I kind of want to talk about what gentrification means. So Merriam-Webster defines it by stating that gentrification is when a poor area experiences an influx of mid-class or wealthy people who renovate and rebuild homes and businesses, which often results in an increase in property values and the displacement of earlier, usually poor residents. Another important definition is displacement. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, a displaced person is someone who has been forced to leave their home, especially because of war or a natural disaster. So gentrification is apparently a controversial topic, so I guess it's important to discuss why gentrification is bad. What do you guys think about when you guys think about gentrification? I feel like it's just an excuse to move um, black and brown people um, from their neighborhoods, basically. Um, I agree with Janae. I think it's just an excuse to, you know, displace black and brown people, as you gave in the definition of displacement. Um, and oftentimes with gentrification, what people don't account for, because um, a lot of people use gentrification as a reason for economic stability but a lot of what a lot of people don't account for is the fact that when you displace these people you leave them with no place to go you leave them with no resources to find a place to go so you move out these people for economic stability but don't account for the fact that they have nowhere to go now um and that's kind of like what we're going to get into with the gentrification of indiana avenue um not really wanting to divulge in the entire conversation because we have so much um to give so much information to give but i think with IEPUI, let's just call it out there, IEPUI gentrified this entire neighborhood of black and brown people and didn't account for the fact that now these people have nowhere to go. You've given them no resources to go anywhere. Um, so what now? And I think that's a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is that gentrification, race plays a lot into gentrification. Class plays a lot into gentrification. Um, and that's something to take account for and to take note of. Yeah, I... Um definitely agree with what you are saying um gentrification is essentially you're kicking people people out of their homes and of course if you're kicking people out of their homes and not giving them the resources like you said to you know um start over somewhere else then that's what leads to a homeless population and then going back to what you said about how some people argue that gentrification is necessary for a city to have some more economic stability um, I kind of want to read this quote about someone who's making an argument for gentrification. He's a gentrification advocate. Um, and they said that people get confused by a moral compass and they would have you believe that it's wrong to move the poor out of a neighborhood. They continue, quote, most of the time these neighborhoods are dangerous areas. Dangerous areas, dangerous areas aren't fixed by new upholstery. It's fixed by getting those people out of there. They are fixing a broken neighborhood through gentrification, moving the junkies, the homeless, and the poor out of there so they can make room for affluent people. If making a neighborhood safer, more pleasant, and more aesthetically pleasing is wrong, then what's right? End quote. Okay, let's talk about the stupidity that was in that entire little spiel that that person just gave. I'm trying to I'm trying to say this in the most respectful way possible because this is still a school funded program that we are doing. Um, let me let me read let me reread that. Um, 
um, there's this quote that the person makes in the um, in his little spiel or whatever. Dangerous areas aren't fixed up by new upholstery. It's fixed up by getting those people out of their ellipses, ellipses. He goes on for a rant for a minute. Um, and the poor out of there so they can make room for affluent people. You, therefore, just admitted the classism that is rooted in gentrification. Um, and a lot of the times, the reason why we have gentrification is because the government is not doing anything to help those dangerous, quote unquote, neighborhoods that this person talks about. Um and if making a neighborhood safer, more pleasant, and more aesthetically pleasing is wrong, oh, then what's right? Okay, well, I'll tell you what's right. Getting resources to help those neighborhoods become, quote, unquote, less dangerous. Not putting so much policing in there, which leads to more police brutality, which leads to a distrust between police and black and brown people. You want to know what's right? What's right is having a moral compass when it comes to gentrification. So that's what's right about everything that is wrong with gentrification. I don't know. That person really just irritated me. So let's just go to the next topic. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely agree. He's he's basically at this point just I forgot what the word is. Um, OK, he's basically at this point just confirming that gentrification usually benefits rich white people. That's basically what he's doing. He's saying get the poor people out of there. Um, we're doing them a favor. We're doing this neighborhood a favor by making it better, more aesthetically pleasing. What's aesthetically pleasing about displacing a community? I would also like to add that if you look at like the history of gentrification, it's often like we've already previously stated within black and brown neighborhoods. And these black and brown neighborhoods have a history to them. And I know we're going to talk about this later on. Um, so I'll you know, expound on this later on. But a lot of these black and brown neighborhoods have history to them. Ransom Place, Indiana Avenue has a history to it. So a lot of the times when they say, well, it's dangerous or it's not aesthetically pleasing, aesthetically pleasing to whom? To whom? Because for a lot of the black community that was living where IEPY now stands, it was aesthetically pleasing. It was flourishing in blackness. Now, is it, was the part that wasn't aesthetically pleasing is the flourishing of black and brown bodies. Is that what wasn't aesthetically pleasing? Like, let's just, let's just be honest here. Let's call it out. Um, yeah. Um, so speaking of the history, let's move on and talk a little bit about the history of Indiana Avenue. So according to an article in Indy Star, during its heyday in the 1930s and early 40s, Indiana Avenue was the center of black business and cultural life. Indiana Avenue was a product of segregation. Blacks were restricted from white neighborhoods and could not shop at many white-owned establishments downtown. But on the avenue, black customers could find doctors, lawyers, dentist office, cafes, restaurants, cleaners, sundries, shoe repair and shine stands, and nightclubs. Um, and in the... In the city's early history, settlers would actually avoid the area around White River because they considered it a breeding ground. So from the beginning, the people who lived and worked along Indiana Avenue tended to be immigrants and African-Americans. Um, and then I also kind of want to point out the history of the Walker Building, which um, was erected in 1927 and was named after the late Madam C.J. Walker, whose hair and cosmetics company have been based in Indianapolis since 1910, um, and Janae will expand on that a little bit later. 
So just to add on what Deborah was saying about um, Indiana Avenue, I also want to talk about Blackfish Street, Lockfield Gardens, and Ransom Place. All these places have a long history of African-American culture. Several black neighborhoods existed where IUPUI is currently located. So hundreds of black families were forcibly displaced to make room for present-day IUPUI campus. To add on to what Deborah was saying about Indiana Avenue, Indiana Avenue was the center of black culture in Indianapolis. The avenue was also home to headquarters of Madam C.J. Walker and prominent black churches, black newspapers, and black-owned businesses. It was also the site of one of the first federal housing projects in America, which is Lockfield Gardens, which boasted indoor plumbing for all 748 units, shops, and a school, and plenty of wide open spaces for residents. When it opened in 1938, even white families wanted to move there. So if you just want to get a visual picture of what Indiana Avenue was before um, gentrification, Indiana Avenue was much like Black Wall Street. It was both internationally known um, to be a center of black music during the jazz age and regionally known. Basically, if you want an explanation of what happened to Indiana Avenue, unfortunately, the truth about why African-Americans left Indiana Avenue has nothing to do with integration or greater racial equity, everything to do with racism and planned ethnic cleansing, cleansing over 400 acres of black neighborhoods. Yeah, and I kind of want to go back to something you said about, um, well, about how Indiana Avenue, um, like you said, it was a... It was a center of black culture, um, and that included like black music during the jazz age. And um, during the jazz era, legends like Duke Ellington, Cab Calloway, Ella Fitzgerald, they played alongside locals like the Hampton Sisters and West Montgomery at the 30-plus clubs in the neighborhood. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, the, the avenue was also home to the headquarters of Madam C.J. Walker's Majestic Theater and Hair Care Manufacturing Company prominent black churches and black newspapers. So um, there's definitely a lot of action going on there and a lot of black people doing amazing things and just thriving um, until gentrification, of course. Again, just want to emphasize like with this history of India Avenue, Indiana Avenue, how important this community was for black people. Because um, again, they, they weren't, they found this community after being forced there by segregation. You know, like they, this wasn't an option for them, but they made the best of what they had. And they did a lot of great things with that air, that, that with that community. Um, and then it was all destroyed. So the way I kind of think about it is basically they were cornered into the area because rich white people found it beneath them because they didn't want to be by the white, white river because of the insects carrying diseases. And then they decided, you know what, after all, we do like it. So then they kicked everyone out. I totally agree with everything that you said, Deborah. Um, and I'm we recording this during Black History Month, so I usually say that I'm black 365 days of the year, but during Black History Month, I'm extra black. So I'm about to brag on my community real quick. One of the things that you hit on that I absolutely love that you said is they made the best out of what they were given. And that's what I love about my community. Since us coming, since my ancestors come into America, we were told to forget everything that we had ever been, that we had ever had, our culture, our language the way that we danced the way that we ate the way that we you know did anything we were told to forget that because we're in america now so that's that's what it is um and you see the way that we as black people have innovated and recreated this culture for ourselves um and that's the same thing with the people of indiana avenue segregated by segregated because of their race 
They didn't have much, but what they were given, they made the best out of that situation. And you see this entire community just flourishing excellence and greatness and doctors and lawyers and teachers and nightclubs and all of this other great stuff. And just like we see today with cultural appropriation, because rich white people saw that they liked that. Oh, okay. We're we going to take that back. That's ours now. Like, thank you for setting this up, but um, we're going to go ahead and snatch that. Um, and it's just unfortunate that that is the case for most of the times when it comes to black and brown people, we create this culture, we create this dynamic. And then another predominant force comes in and just snatches it away. But getting back to the point that I was making is that I love the way that my people can have much of nothing but make something so big and so great out of it. And that's what the people of Indiana Avenue did. So I don't want this entire episode to be about, to be not necessarily negative because this, what we're talking about is informative. I don't want it to be all about the misfortune of what happened to those black and brown bodies of Indiana Avenue. I also want to give them praise because like you said, they took nothing and made it something and they made it great. And we're still learning about it. No, we may not hear about it in our textbooks in elementary school and middle school, in, in high school and sometimes you'll barely hear about it here at IEP why you got to do the research for yourself but it's there so I want to give praise to that okay so now I'm going to talk about IUPUI displacement and building of the campus according to New America the avenue wasn't the only place that black people lived in Indianapolis but it had also had always been punctuated with severe housing shortages these shortages left even some middle-class black people paying extraordinary rents for substandard living conditions by the early 1900s. In 1935, 383 homes that were considered slum housing by the city were leveled and federal funds were used to create what is now known as Lockfield Garden. And the university's Indianapolis presence had been growing since it opened its medical school in the early 1900s. Um, in fact, black property was being taken over by the university as early as the 1920s although property acquisition did slow down and stop during the Depression and World War II. But the pace quickened when, in 1956, Indiana University's Medical Center prompted the Indianapolis Redevelopment Commission to declare almost 38 acres of neighborhoods as blighted and substandard. The university then moved to purchase the land and, quote-unquote, relocate residents by eminent domain if necessary. And unsafe conditions were often a result of the housing crunch. Exacerbated by a growing black population and redlining, which inhibited both repairs and home loans. As demand for black housing reached a fever pitch, Indiana University was overtaking entire neighborhoods. And in the mid-1960s, the university acquired and demolished properties at a rapid clip seeking to promote an accelerated relocation of residents from the mostly black neighborhoods surrounding it. Entire neighborhoods were gutted and soon after converted to parking lots. And eminent domain under the guise of slum clearance was a frequently used blunt instrument of the displacement. Eventually, with so many neighborhoods partially demolished, homeowners and property owners were now eager to unload now valueless homes on mostly empty blocks. Some who had the determination and resources to stay in protest did so. And their homes eventually became islands in a great sea of parking lots at IUPUI. Um, IUPUI did recognize that they were partly responsible for the misery and despair unfolding of, on their doorstep. Um, using interviews and informants among Indiana residents, the university and city leadership came to understand the role that forced redevelopment had plated in seeding unrest during a particularly 
volatile moment for the nation's black neighborhoods. And IEPY acknowledges its role in the displacement in a confidential memo dated January 16, 1970, that describes remaining residents as a newly organized considerable force. Not only were they aware of what they were doing, but they didn't seem to care. Um, As far as they were concerned, the people that were standing there and protesting to keep their homes, um, they were opposition, not, you know, people just trying to keep their family homes. Um, There are remaining landmarks like the Walker Building, Christmas Attics High School, and some remaining homes in Ransom Place, Um, but they're just persistent ties to a thriving black community nothing compared to what was once there. And between the expansive IUPY campus, One America Square, parking garages, and canal side development, and highway construction, the Indiana, the Indiana Avenue neighborhoods bear little resemblance to their storied past. And one thing I want to bring up is that as I was reading this article about um, the development of IUPY, one thing that stood out to me was um, they had a a story of two toddlers that died in 1956 in an electrical fire. They lived with their mom on Douglas Street, what is now IUPY dorms. Um, The house was shabbily constructed, and it was a three-room addition, which was literally partitioned with cardboard. Um, They were having electrical problems, and the mom stepped out to call an electrician about the electrical problems um, and, you know, try to talk to the landlord to see if she could get that fixed. And when she returned, the house was on fire and her two toddlers were dead. Um, This happened again in 1956. And the Indianapolis Recorder, the city's leading black newspaper, reported that the tragedy brought the death toll to 13 Negro children killed in the last 18 months by house fires. And that the fire chief put the blame squarely on the landlord. And going back to the information from this article, you'll see that... um, that there was a lot of unsafe conditions because of the housing crunch where they were trying to take up all this land. And what they would do is they would inhibit repairs and home loans so that people wouldn't keep moving to that area because they wanted those people out. So part of the, the part of the way they would do that is by basically if the homes are unsafe, eventually they have to move out. So they allowed for these unsafe conditions, which led to the deaths of many black people. And like the Indianapolis recorder, put um, 13 children killed in 18 months, which is ridiculously high. And I just wanted to say, Deborah, that I think that that's very disgusting that they would rather children die so that people would be motivated to leave because of these unsafe conditions. But I'm not sure if you mentioned, but I remember you mentioned to me earlier that they were denying repair loans for people. So even if you wanted to get the house fixed, you couldn't. So... I just think that that's just really upsetting. And it just makes me wonder, like, 13 children died. It just makes me wonder if some of those fires were set intentionally. So IEPY has now launched a scholarship for the descendants of Indiana Avenue and the Ransom Place neighborhood. Um, WRTV actually quotes our very own Dr. Khalila Shabazz stating that during the summer 2020, a large constituent group of IEPY administrators and student leaders pulled together some various anti-racist initiatives. And one of the 
suggestions that came from that was through their eyes memorial scholarship the scholarship would provide fifty thousand dollars to an incoming or current IUPUI student whose family was displaced during the establishment and the construction of the IUPUI campus the through their eyes memorial scholarship is part of an inclusion plan first initiated in 2006 by the IUPUI's black student union which I am proud to be the vice president of sorry I had to put that out there uh Kalila Shabazz is the assistant vice chancellor of for student diversity equity and inclusion she said the call to give something back to a community that lost so much continues to echo more than 50 years after the first home was knocked down. That is actually so powerful. That, that was powerful. Um, and so this was the Through Their Eyes scholarship was actually mentioned on um, IEPY's official Facebook page. And a lot of the people in the comment section were actually not happy with the scholarship um, saying that it was... Um, to think of you know I'm paraphrasing the quotes here but a lot of people are not happy with the scholarship saying that well there are other people that could could use that money um why do black people think they're so special just a lot of things and it's just like actually deborah janae i'm gonna let y'all talk before i say anything else <laughs> the facebook post there was one person who mentioned immigrant settlers and they're like well what about the immigrant irish settlers that were in that area um before the black people what about them um, and they were kind of, I guess, missing the point of the scholarship. Um, IUPUI is not responsible for the immigrant settlers. They had nothing to do with that, really. But they are responsible for the displacement of an entire black neighborhood. They completely missed the point of what the scholarship is about. Um, and there were people, you know, opposing this person in the comments and there were of course people who were like like you said um saying things like why is it always about black people and stuff like that what about these other people what about the other things this money could be used for um basically saying that the scholarship was like a waste of money i personally am really happy that this scholarship is a thing i think it's the least they could do dr k said that community lost so much it it's the least they could have done that's the thing. I don't under, understand why people complain because literally, like Deborah said, it is the least that they could do. If we wouldn't really want to talk about more that they could do, they could do reparations or something like that. But they destroyed a whole community. And it just makes me really upset that other people are complaining that they're giving scholarships to the descendants that were affected. Like y'all said, it's, it's flabbergasting that that people don't understand what the use of the scholarship is for. Um, and I remember that most of the times I would usually get mad when people would say, well, why is it always about black people? Or this is a waste of money. What do they need that for? And I have to remember that these people have no experience of what it is to be black, of what it means to be displaced or what it means to be, to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To be affected by gentrification, by classism, any of that, um, to be black, and to be of a low socioeconomic class, let me put it out. Let me put that. Let me put it that way, um, because there are some some people of other races who can experience um, classism. So to be black and to be of low socioeconomic class and to be displaced from a home that most of these people who were displaced, these homes were handed down by generations. And I think that's what a lot of people get is that these people were not just losing their homes. They were losing a piece of their family. They were losing a piece of their culture when IEPY gentrified this neighborhood. So really it's not for me personally, if I was a descendant of Ransom Place, for me, it wouldn't be about the money. It honestly wouldn't. Now, like Janae said, that's the least y'all could do for like 
just ripping my family out of everything they ever known. That's the least y'all could do. But for me, it wouldn't be about the money. It's about the fact that you're saying, okay, hey, I acknowledge that what I did was not right at all. I displaced the entire community. I took something away from your family. And I think that that's what I'm hoping is the motive behind IEPY giving out this scholarship and not just, okay, we really tired of hearing y'all talk about us and this gentrification stuff. I'm hoping that IEPY's motive was truly acknowledging the wrong and what they've done. Like you said, it's not even just about race. It's usually about race, but it's oftentimes about socioeconomic class, and that affects all people of all races if they're of a low um, socioeconomic class. And you see it all over the place and all over cities. It's not just here in Indianapolis or just here in Indiana. So many times people are removed because, you know, maybe the city wants to build um, a parking garage where their house is, or Maybe they want to build a highway that goes straight through where their home is. And do they care that that home has been passed down for generations? Do they care that this person has worked their entire lives and sacrificed so much to make mortgage payments and maybe just finished paying for the house and now they got to leave? There are so many situations that they don't even consider because they want to build up the city. Um, but like the least you could do is allow for them to do that in a way that doesn't result in them being homeless, that doesn't result in them, you know, having to make sacrifices just to make ends meet because they need to suddenly go and move into a more expensive neighborhood. Um, or another thing that happens with gentrification is that they raise the taxes in the neighborhood to the point where the people that are living there and are staying there can't afford to be there anymore because things just aren't adding up. So there's so many layers of gentrification um, and so many wrongdoings by the cities that impose this that it's kind of, if you have any moral compass, it's kind of hard <laughs> to not see how it's not okay. Um, so kind of going back to that one person who was like pro-gentrification, stepping back out of my moral compass, I can see how it leads to economic stability. I can see how it leads to improvements in the city, but in my opinion, putting back my moral compass, it's not worth it. It's not worth everything that family sacrificed. And it's so easy for people when they look at numbers, but I don't, when I see a person, I don't see a statistic. I see a person with a past, a future, a present, and I don't know their situation the same way they don't know mine. And I'm not gonna stand by and allow Basically, if I know about it, I can't in good faith allow that that person's entire history, entire family be displaced. It just doesn't sit right with me. So that's why I oppose gentrification. It's just it just doesn't sit right with me to just remove an entire family. You don't know what they're going through. And that's just adding on another problem to who knows how many they have. So um, kind of hitting on like the last point of this episode, I really want to talk about Reclaim Indiana and um, what people our age are actually doing to to kind of oppose um, gentrification. So Reclaim Indiana kind of launched back in June of 2020, so June of last year. Um, and it started because of the 719 development by Buckingham Companies. It was a $7 million apartment complex that would have, gentrified most of the historic part most of what was left of the historic black neighborhood in indiana um and this is near the walker um the walker theater 
A group of alumni from various Indianapolis colleges and current students of IEPY got together. Um, they started this initiative, um, Reclaim Indiana. Um, they had students, parents, teachers, everybody um, filling out these letters and sending them off to Buck, uh, Buckingham companies and other places that were investing in this um, this apartment complex and telling them, hey, this is not going to happen. I uh, was one of those was one of those letters um, that 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 I sent um, um, BSU, which I, Black Student Union, which I, as I've already said, is the vice president of um, kind of helped with this initiative, um, made sure that people made sure that the word was getting out was, you know, our president, Chanel Henderson, really, really stepped up to the plate um, and really showed how students could get involved. Um, so Reclaim Indiana, I have to give a shout out to them because had they not stepped up, we would have seen another another gentrification of this black neighborhood that we're trying so hard to protect. So I really have to give a shout out to Reclaim Indiana for that. Yeah, and I think that brings up a really good point. Um, we talked a lot about the history of gentrification um, here on Indiana Avenue, because of course that is the point of the episode, but it's really important to mention that this is still happening today, even though, you know, everything that we mentioned from the history is before the 2000s here even in 2021 it's still happening i feel like a lot of the times when we talk about these issues of systemic racism people are always talking about how oh but that's in the past no no sweetie it's not it's right here it's today um it hasn't gone away maybe you're blind to it maybe you don't know about it but that doesn't mean that it's not there um, that being said, do you guys have any final thoughts before we end today's episode? I think the only thing that I would say, just to hit on the point that you made, Deborah, is that this stuff doesn't doesn't go away. It changes its face. It changes its format. But it's the foundation of it. Systematic racism, gentrification, classism, um, sexism, all of that is still there. It just changes its format every so often. Um, so it's important to always stay educated to always know what is going on within your community. And if even if you're not a part of that community, finding ways to use your privilege to help that community and amplify the voices of that community is extremely important. And know the history behind your university, I think is extremely important. I came into IEPUI very ignorant of the land that I was standing on. And now that I know I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure that the voices of this community, though I may not be a part of the Ransom Place community, though I may not be a part of the Indiana Avenue community, I'm gonna make sure that the voices of that community that has been affected because of gentrification are amplified. So just make sure that you're doing everything in your power to know the history behind the land that you are standing on. And I agree 100% with Chelsea. Um, I also came to IUPUI and I did not know, which is why I'm very happy that we have this podcast to spread awareness to other people um, at IUPUI or even beyond that don't know that, like Chelsea said, the land that we're standing on has a tragic history. So I think that it's just very important to just stay educated and keep raising awareness for those who are privileged enough not to know. Also, this episode will drop during March. So happy Women's History Month. I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, and speaking of wonderful women, kind of putting the two months together, um, we mentioned the Madam C.J. Walker Theater, but in case y'all didn't know, Madam C.J. Walker was the first black woman millionaire in America. In fact, she was the first woman millionaire in America. It was all thanks to her homemade 
line of hair care products for black women. So, you know, props to her. In case you didn't know who she was, that's who she was. And she does not deserve for her theater to get knocked down because it is in her honor. And she was such an honorable woman. She was a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, a social activist. And she was such a successful black woman and such an inspiration. And I just think if you don't know who she is, it's important to know. So um, I really want to honor Madam C.J. Walker for everything that she did. Um, That being said, that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you learned something new. Um, That's really the whole point of this podcast. Like Janae and Chelsea said, it's about learning. If you didn't already know, now you know. Um, Stay safe out there, y'all.